Um, I want to also make sure that I uh, don't go any further without recognizing and celebrating and praising God for an amazing message last week by Pastor Boomy, my sister. How many were encouraged and blessed by that message last week? I know I was. Man. We, we have this, this, uh, this pastor um, curse that when somebody else is preaching a good message, you start writing your own sermon during that message. So I got, I got a whole like three sermons out of that sermon. I was, uh, Pastor Boomer, you were blessing me with the word that got, in fact, can I just, put, I'm going to put her on blast real quick. I was supposed to preach last week and she was like, uh-uh, I'm preaching. So I was like, okay, you got it. Like, um, and it was a word that the Lord just put in her heart to share with us and a word that was dynamic um, that I'm still wrestling and chewing on, um, recognizing the power of, of what God was speaking through. Our sis, my sister, our, our pastor, Pastor Boomy, um, just to talk about the, the faith, um, right, of, of the woman with an issue. She said, not the issue of blood, but the issue of faith, um, who came forward and broke through convention, right? She, she went unconventional. Um, because there were a number of things that should have held her back from pursuit, from approaching Jesus, right? The fact that she's a woman in that day and time, you're, you're, you're not, if you're a woman, you're not supposed to move toward a man in that day and time. So she didn't allow her gender to hold her back from moving toward Jesus. Uh, she didn't allow her physical condition, which uh, in the Old Testament and New Testament was tantamount to not just a physical condition, but a spiritual condition as well. So she was considered not just physically unclean, but spiritually unclean. So she, she should not be approaching anybody who was in a rabbi status, and yet she didn't allow that to hold her back from approaching Jesus. Right. So I, I would like to call what she did unconventional faith in an uncontrollable God. Right. She 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 went outside of convention because she believed that God could do something that God would see her. And guess what? Jesus's miracle healing her and touching her was uh, was essentially an affirmation. Jesus was affirming and confirming that her actions were right, even though everything she did, according to the book, would have been considered wrong. Does that make sense? Um, and I believe that as, as the Lord invites us into this space, we're in this series on faith. We're going to continue talking about faith today. I'm excited about the sermon. I'm excited about the message for us to continue learning and exploring faith. But even as we think about faith, um, we, we think about uh, being able to place ourselves into the hands of a God who sees us, a God who knows us, a God who has compassion on us. And a God who is able to declare to us, even if we show just a, a mustard seed size of faith, that it's enough to connect with the mighty power of God. And so today, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And, and I want to title this morning's sermon in Luke chapter 5, The Community of Faith. Somebody say, The Community of Faith. The Community of Faith. The community of faith. So let's go ahead and look at uh, this passage in Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. So it says this in Luke 5, 17 through 26. One day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Somebody say, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. Uh, that illustrates for us your heart, your power. It illustrates for us the power of the community of faith. Uh, We ask that you would open our eyes and ears and our hearts and minds to receive from you directly today. Would these words not be my own, but would they be yours as you minister to us and teach us how to live according to Uh, the truth of your word, and how to practice uh, the kind of faith that we just read about in Luke chapter 5. Have your way in us today, in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. Amen. So here we have this powerful passage in Luke chapter 5. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 2. It's essentially an identical story, just told from two different vantage points in the gospel narratives. There's four gospel accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each have a bit of a different take. And I love the fact that we do have four different uh, eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And, and I even especially love when there's a little bit of difference between their stories. Some of you might be thinking, but Pastor Koba, doesn't that uh, in some ways diminish the credibility and reliability of the scripture if their stories aren't exactly the same? No, because if, if four people tell a story and it's exactly the same, guess what? Everybody copied one person. They got together in a room and they said, let's make sure all of our story accounts. But I love the fact that there's nuances between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it illustrates for us that they're just telling the truth from their vantage point. Make sense? The, the great illustration and analogy is if there's, a, unfortunately, a car accident on Torrance and Figueroa and uh, four of us are standing on each corner and we're looking at it, we're, we're each going to see the same event through a different set of lenses, Right? Uh, But it's the same exact thing. And so I love the fact that we have four eyewitness accounts of the story of Jesus. And so in this, we do see in Mark 2, but also here in Luke 5, this beautiful and powerful story. Now, let me just give a little bit of context for this Luke chapter 5 story. Luke chapter 5, as you can count, right? Um, For those those of us who are mathematically challenged, don't worry. We're not going to get into anything beyond counting right now. Um, But Luke chapter 5 comes after 1, 2, 3, and 4, right? Amen? Amen. Somebody say amen, Pastor Kobe. I'm with you on that one. 
Okay, and then what comes after is chapter six, right? Well, you're tracking with me. So in the first four chapters of Luke, um, what we see essentially is the leading up to the ministry of Jesus. Not a whole lot is, is happening in his earthly ministry up until this point. And so in other words, Luke chapter four records Jesus being baptized in the Jordan, right? And then even uh, shortly thereafter, he begins to call his disciples. So when we see Jesus in this home uh, near the Sea of Galilee and these individuals it says some men came to him and they were bringing their friend who was paralyzed couldn't walk on his own and they came to find Jesus and they came to a house where they 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 heard Jesus was going to be and it was a packed house when they came up to him know that uh, Jesus had barely called his disciples to Jesus so this isn't like years into his ministry Um, they have they they haven't been established quite yet this is the uh, in some ways the infancy stage of the earthly ministry of Jesus Um, prior to this uh, story in Luke chapter 5 Jesus does a few miracles um, that that are recorded in the gospel of Luke he heals Peter's mother-in-law and then as a result of that others began to spread the word Right. And as others began to spread the word, people who were sick, people who were carrying disease and illness started to flock toward Jesus. And he began to do miracles there as well. So here we are in Luke chapter five. And what we can say with certainty, according to the flow of the gospel account, is that the reputation of Jesus was spreading like wildfire. Especially within the Galilee region. Have you heard what Jesus did last weekend? Did you hear what he said to this particular group? Did you hear the testimony of that person who who came to Jesus with this particular sickness and they walked away completely healed? The word about Jesus began to spread so fast that all of a sudden they filled this house that Jesus was at teaching and preaching. I love that in Luke chapter 5 that we just read. Um, we see that the, the context for this setting says in verse 17, one day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. So I don't know if Luke wanted to specifically highlight a particular kind of audience member or if Luke was saying literally this whole house was filled with Pharisees and teachers of the law. I don't know. We don't have enough in the Bible to clarify that. But for, what, for whatever reason, Luke found that it was important to remark that a significant portion of those who were in attendance on this day were Pharisees and teachers of the law. Some of you might be thinking, what does that mean, Pastor Koba? Why, why, why would Luke say that and why would you highlight it in the sermon? And what I would say is what that means to us as we think about the significance of Pharisees and teachers of the law. Pharisees and teachers of the law were held in high regard in this society in the first century. They were the, um, you know, the cream of the crop. They were those who carried weight in society. They were those who were respected. They were those who people treated better and differently because they carried this title and status that they worked really hard to achieve. You didn't become a Pharisee overnight. You were not born into a family of Pharisees. You had to work really hard. It's almost like receiving a, a doctoral degree in faith and teaching in order to become a Pharisee. And the teachers of the law, very similar. So they were highly regarded by people and so this house I don't know if it was filled with them or if it was you know they were just prominent members but Luke uh, sees that it's necessary to highlight at the very least there was a significant amount of Pharisees and teachers of the law in this particular house and then the the story goes on to say um, that some men in verse 18 came carrying a paralytic 
So if it says some men, obviously they weren't Pharisees or teachers of the law, because if they were, Luke would have said more Pharisees and teachers of the law came bringing somebody on a mat. In other words, some men means those who were not Pharisees or teachers of the law came toward Jesus. They were carrying a, a, a friend on a mat and they came to the house and maybe they had pictured in their mind as they traveled carrying this mat. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I read this story, I think about how heavy people are. I mean, I think about how heavy I am, okay? Let me just throw that out there, right? Um, and, 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 you know, for me, I love giving my kids a piggyback ride. I love throwing them on my shoulders. Even my, you know, my nephews. Elisha's getting to the point where I might hurt myself if I try to carry him, right? Um, but everybody younger than him, I pretty much, I can, you know, I can lift up. I can toss them around in the pool when we're hanging out in the summertime. No big deal, right? Um, uh, but, but it's funny because, you know, I, I work at a college, university, and there's other, you know, there's big, big boys around there. And so every once in a while, just for the fun of it, I'll go and jump on like a big basketball player's back and see if he can carry me on campus. And these guys lift weights all the time and his knees start to buckle, right? So as I think about this story, I think about a heavy person being carried. They didn't have wheelchairs. Um, they didn't have ambulances. They didn't have modes of transportation to carry a human from one place to the next. I don't know how far they came to visit this house where they heard Jesus was at. Maybe they were down the street. Maybe they were a few villages away. All I could say is I bet you their forearms were tired. Right? Their hands were tired. They were huffing and puffing to get to this place. I, mean, I, I, like to, I like to read the Word of God and ask all kinds of questions of the Word of God that I might ne never have answers to until I get to heaven one day. But I like to think about the hypothetical situation. How did this story start? Right? Were, they, were they hanging out at some village near Capernaum in, in the region of Galilee and talking to this friend? And Did they convince him and say, hey, man, you've never been able to walk. What do you think? There's somebody named Jesus who we hear is able to do miracles. Do you want us to take you to Jesus? Or, or, or was it the man in the mat that, that looked up to his friends and said, hey, you guys have been talking. I've been overhearing this buzz about somebody named Jesus. Do you think you guys can take me? Because I, for whatever reason, feel like something different can happen because I feel something different in my spirit. Maybe can you get me closer to this person named Jesus? I don't know if the men asked the, the paralyzed guy, their friend, or if he asked them. I don't know how it happened, but somehow, some way, they ended up outside of this house that was filled, right, with standing room only all the way out the door. But somehow, some way, there was a conversation that took place to get at least four, right? I love that the Bible says some men. It doesn't give us how many. So I wonder if they had like eight so they could do like two rotations. That's how I would have done it, right? Hey, I need eight guys. The first, we're going to take the first hour. Then you guys are going to take the second hour. Then we're going to take the second hour, right? And then actually I would have asked for nine so that somebody could be carrying a cooler with like Gatorade, right? And beef jerky and, and, uh, and, and a monster or something, you know? Um, um, and, and so, so I don't know what the planning was like and what the conversation, the pre-conversations were like, but somehow, some way they arrived having carried this dude on a mat all the way to a house to see Jesus. Are you, are you following the story so far? So here they get to the house. And again, like I said, I don't know if they traveled five minutes or four hours, but somehow, some way they landed at the house and they saw that the house was filled with especially Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law. 
important people. First of all, I'm like, man, why do these important people always want to hear from Jesus and then later on go start talking trash about Jesus? They should have just stayed home. Unless they were legitimately curious. And if they were legitimately curious, then go ahead, listen to Jesus. But otherwise, you're just taking up space in a house where a lot of other people could get close to the feet of Jesus. And so, so, so here they are, they get to this house, and, and, and I love the fact that these men who carried their friend to go see this man named Jesus, who they probably didn't know yet, let's just be honest, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, so he's kind of a brand new thing. And they get to this house, and I love the fact that these guys must have been from like Carson, or Wilmington, or San Pedro, or Hawthorne, Southgate. Right. These these guys were not from I'm not going to start listing other cities. Because when they got to the house, right, there's some people that would just I mean, imagine you got that one friend who's carrying that one like back left corner, you know, or maybe the front left, wherever the legs are, the lighter part, that one that's like, I got this side. Right. And, and probably like every five minutes was like, hold on, stop, stop. Let's put them down. Got to take a little breather. All right, let's go. You know, you probably have that one that was already complaining. And then you get to the house and it's full. And he was probably the first one that said, oh, man, it's not going to work out today, man. We're going to have to give it another shot. By the way, I'm tired. I can't get that corner. Uh, Guy number five, you're up. Right. You probably had that one that was just the naysayer negative and he saw that the house was full. But then you probably had that one, maybe the leader of the group, maybe the one who initiated this whole project who said, hey, we can't get to Jesus on the inside of the house, but let's get on top. Right. There's probably that one crazy friend that you have that's just always down and willing to do the thing that nobody else was thinking of. Because, I mean, if you think carrying a dude for a long time is hard, imagine lifting up a dude onto a roof. I've never done that before. The closest I've come is helping do some roofing. And I got one of those bundles of roof shingles and doing that like two or three times. It's tiring. And that's only like 50 pounds. I guarantee you this guy was more than 50 pounds. How do you get him up to the roof? Anyway, they must have been like CrossFit, you know, capable people. So they lift up their friend onto the roof, right? And then, and then somebody had the gall to begin tearing up the roof. Right? We got a word for that in L.A. It's called breaking and entering. Destruction of property, right? Trespassing. I mean, there you go. You got three on you on the moment. It was probably that one guy that was just like, man, I've already been in. If they get us in trouble, I'll take the hit. It was my idea, right? (laughs) And so they're ripping up the roof. Every single step in this process is a step of faith, church. The conversation to say, what do you think? Should we get to Jesus? Sometimes I like to imagine that the guy on the mat was probably the one that was trying to convince them to not do it. How embarrassing would that be to be carried and paraded in front of so many people who can see my condition and situation? How embarrassing would that be if you take me in front of this person and we don't know who this person Jesus is. We hear he's a pretty good dude. But what if he just looks at us and says, get out of my way. Can't you see I'm teaching right now? 
Can't you see I'm doing important things and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law need, need, need me to instruct? You didn't set an appointment. You didn't call my assistant. You didn't show up during, the, during my office hours. And here you want to break into this moment where I'm busy and somehow imagine that I could just pause my whole life and do what you want me to do for you. What makes you special that all these people need to stop this moment of what we're doing just so that I could t pay attention to your needs? I mean, I, I kind of imagine what if the paralyzed man was in his brain going through the feeling of rejection and embarrassment and shame. And probably as a result, it's just like to his friends, hey, dude, no, no, go back. Don't do it. Let's try to catch him on the road when there's not as many people and there's not a big old event going on. I don't want to be put in front of all these people. How many of us have felt like that before, right? We know we have a need, but we're just so embarrassed. We don't want our need to be shown to others. And so we'd rather just avoid anything because we're afraid that maybe it won't happen. Maybe we'll find rejection. Maybe we'll be embarrassed. So sometimes I wonder if the reluctance was probably more on the part of the guy on the mat than it was on his friends who came. But regardless, through all of those thoughts, potentially, and feelings, somehow, some way, they made their way on top of a roof. They began to rip open the roof. They began to cause a scene. Are we tracking with that so far? And it says here, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They probably had to do it quick because the owner of the house, he was already starting to get the ladder out, right? What you guys doing on my roof? And then verse 20 says something that we need to highlight, underline, circle, and pay attention to. Verse 20 says, when Jesus saw, what does it say in your Bible? Church, somebody say, when Jesus saw, say it again, when Jesus saw, what did he see? Whose faith? Does it say when Jesus saw the, 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 the paralyzed man's faith? It says when Jesus saw what? Whose faith? Their faith. The community of faith. When Jesus saw that there were some people that believed enough that Jesus could do something about this man on a mat. When Jesus saw that they were together and united. When Jesus saw one person sacrificing their time and energy and their reputation to travel all the way carrying their friend to another place. To find that it was a packed house. To jump up on top of a house. To start ripping open the roof. When Jesus saw that all of that had to happen so that this moment when a mat began to get lowered in front of Jesus. It touched Jesus' heart. It moved him. You know what moved him about it? Because what he saw in that moment was the embodiment of the kingdom of God. What he saw was an acted out, lived out version of what he had been teaching about what the kingdom of God is all about. Love others as yourself. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Everything that Jesus teaches is being embodied in this moment where he sees a person being lowered right in front of him during a busy moment when important people were surrounding him. And these people didn't care about how important they were, what their titles were, what point Jesus was at in his sermon. They just lowered their friend right in front of Jesus' faith. And Jesus says, yes. Jesus is like, that's what I'm talking about. You get it. 
Luke 5 verse 20 says, When Jesus saw their faith. Uh, a few weeks ago, I shared uh, just life-changing uh, experiences that I had recently in a missions trip down in Mexico. And uh, one of the things that I experienced, which is beautiful and it reminds me a lot of what we see happening in this passage, is uh, one of the, the ministries that we did uh, with our college students is we, we traveled in these big giant, you know, vans with our university. And we, it's like a, we stick out like a sore thumb in Ensenada, Mexico, right? Um, and, and, and we're driving through the neighborhood and, and all of a sudden these, you know, 15 passenger vans pull up and we park and all these college students start coming out. And, uh, and, and one of the things that we would do is we would go and visit migrant camps. And see, so these are camps where people um, have come to live in the region of Ensenada, but most of them who are there aren't from the region of Ensenada. Ensenada is like northern Mexico. Most of the people that are there actually come from southern Mexico or Guatemala or deeper into central and, and, uh, and so South America. And so they made their way all the way up to work in the fields of Ensenada, and, and they don't yet have homes. And so they all live in, um, honestly, the, the, the living conditions remind me a lot of how the Bible describes a man. Those are the living conditions. It's three walls. There's, there's not a fourth wall. And, and whatever blankets you could muster up to create a little corner that you call for your own family of five or six or seven. Um, and that was the living conditions of the migrant camps. And so when the vans pulled up to go and minister and we would do, you know, Bible lessons in Spanish and we would play music and do, teach them dances to worship songs and blow bubbles and pull out soccer balls and footballs. And, and we would just have a good time for a few hours. But one of the things that is always part of these visits from the organization that hosted us is that we would always bring food. Right? We would always be, and, and it wasn't like, you know, uh, uh, prime rib or anything like that. You know, it was beans and rice. Right? And we bring these big bags of beans, right? Uncooked beans and big bag of uncooked rice. And, and we'd get the big strong guys to go in the back of the van and pull them out and, and set it down on the ground. And, and then we'd rip the bags open and, 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 and slowly but surely folks would start to come out of the migrant camp uh, shelters and they would each come out with their own vessel. Maybe they had a bowl. Uh, maybe they had a, a used, you know, uh, butter uh, um, uh, container. Whatever it is that they had, they brought out. And then we would give them the opportunity to, to get a scoop of beans and a scoop of rice. And then the next person would come and get some food. And, and one of the things that, that struck me that was like an image that was seared into my memory is um, when we began to pull up. And I had vi visited these uh, these camps before and so when we pulled up this time around all of a sudden um, the little kids began to run toward the vans because they knew they were about to get bubbles and music and stories and somebody was going to pick them up and twirl them around right um, and so the little kids right the the, the kids who were about six years and under ran toward the van what I noticed though was that the kids who are about seven or eight or older they ran away from the van and, in, and initially, I wondered to myself, that's an interesting thing. Like, I'm just observing and seeing what's happening. The babies run toward the van. The older kids run away. And, and then it made sense to me about five minutes later, because after the older kids ran away, for every one kid that ran away, five more people came toward the vans. Because for them, they said, they're here. Food is here. Hallelujah. Beans are here. Rice is here. And, and the older kids knew that when the vans came, they got to run away from the van because they got to go tell everybody that those people are back. Hallelujah. 
those people who do games and, and, and make loud noises and jump around and, and, and hand out food. And so it was a blessing for me to see that there was this, this innate love and desire to say, beans and rice ain't just for me, it's for my family. I got to go tell my mom. I got to go tell my dad. I got to go tell the next shelter over. And, and, and some of them came back 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, which means they probably had to run away, to run a, a good amount of, um, amount of distance to go and tell their families or others that those vans are back. And I love that. Because that's what Luke 5 is all about. This is, this is a moment where Jesus says, you guys get it. And he's kind of, in some ways, he's almost like Pharisees, teachers of the law. Man, you guys have got graduate, high-level degrees in theology, but you still haven't figured it out yet. These dudes get it. Hallelujah. Right? These guys understand what the kingdom is all about. So it says, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I know because we're preaching in L.A. right now, and I don't know where you're joining us from online, but if you're like me and you read that verse, you're kind of like, what are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> that dude didn't come here to get his sins forgiven. Right? They went through great lengths to get their friend on a mat in front of Jesus because they wanted to see their friend walk. But Jesus looks at him and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Amen. If I was the dude on the mat, I'd have been like, thank you. What about my legs? Are my legs forgiven? Like, right? I mean, I would have. How many of us keep it real with Jesus? Let me tell you what, church, Mission Ebenezer, keep it real with Jesus. Because if you can't keep it real with Jesus, he's not really your friend. Because if you got a good friend, you know you keep it real with them. And if you got to tiptoe around talking, using words that you don't typically use in your life to communicate with Jesus, then he ain't your friend yet. Because I know who my friends are when I can be myself fully in front of them. And I don't got to worry about what I say, how I say it, when I say it. I just say it because that's who I am. Those are who my real friends are. Jesus is your real friend. Talk to him like you, you can, okay? So, the, so Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And initially, it doesn't make sense to us. But when we take a step back and we really look at the situation, we realize that even if Jesus tells this man that he could get up and walk and pick up his mat and get up out of here and praise God because of a miracle that he received. Guess what? When he's like 80, 85, 90, the, the, the same condition that he brought with him into that house is going to come back upon his body. But there's one condition that he has in his heart that, that, that he'll, he'll never have to lose no matter how old he gets. And that condition is our sin condition. So Jesus said, yes, I am going to heal you. But before I do that, let me make sure I emphasize that there's an even greater healing that you need than the healing to walk. I am going to heal the sin that you carry in your heart so that you can have redemption and restoration, reconciliation with the Father and an eternity in heaven. No matter what you've gone through, where you've been, that I'm going to heal that sin of yours. Because your body's going to fail one day. But if your spirit is aligned with me, you're going to live forever. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I want us for a second to, to, to take a step back because I do believe that, you know, we're a Pentecostal church and we believe that God is able to heal, right? But the greatest kind of healing is the healing of the heart, church. Right? If I have bad eyes and God heals my eyes, but my heart isn't the way it's supposed to be, then, then that healing of my eyes was no good because it just caused me to have an even worse heart. But if Jesus restores and heals my heart and, and saves me of my sin and puts me on a right trajectory, then that's the greatest kind of healing anybody could ever experience. And I don't preach that to spiritualize anything. What I'm simply saying is our bodies are going to fail one way or another. So if our focus is only on physical healing and not on recognizing the transformation of a soul and a heart toward Jesus, then essentially what we're doing is we're asking God for a lesser miracle. The physical miracle is supposed to point toward a greater miracle Amen. all the time. It is never meant to be the end-all, be-all of our life and experience. If all we ask for is the physical, then we're missing out on something even greater that God has for us. Amen? Amen. I, I, as I think about faith and as I think about trust, uh, I, I'm just going to do this really quickly and I'll move on and we'll finish the sermon because I, I, can, I can go into this for a really long time. And some of you are like, I got things to do, Pastor Koba. So there's JV faith and there's varsity faith. Which one do you want? JV faith. Let me, let me just clarify this because I want us to be a spiritually mature church. Amen? JV faith. And this is no offense to anybody that's on JV right now. Okay, you just put in your work, put in your time. You're going to be all right. You're going to get to varsity, okay? It's all good. You're going to get there, right? Um, but JV faith is basically this. Lord, I believe with all my heart that, um, that you want my condition to change. This, this thing that I bring before you, this situation that I'm carrying. And, and, I, I, and I really want you to do this miracle in my life. Um, if that is our faith and if God chooses to answer that request in a different way, oftentimes people walk away from their faith because they, they say, God didn't answer my prayer because I needed God to act in this specific way. Varsity faith, in my opinion, is the faith that says, Lord, I believe that you are able I believe that you are able and I believe that it's even aligned with your heart. And I trust you that whatever you do with my request, you can do because you are a sovereign God. And I place my faith in you. And even if it doesn't happen, guess what? I'm going to worship you at the top of my lungs because my worship isn't dependent on how many things you answered according to my requests. Right. Varsity faith is is you ask for something. Right. And then God does the complete opposite. And we say the Lord gives the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's good. He's faithful. He's worthy to be praised. He already died for me on the cross and rose again on the third day. He invited me to the seat, a seat at the table and with my heavenly father. My sins are forgiven. My identity is restored. I have everything that I ever need for the next 2000 years or 10 or or 100 and as a result, I, I have enough that God has done for me to praise him for all eternity. So if he wants to, like, heal my ear infection, then that'll be a plus. But if he doesn't heal my ear infection, then my faith isn't discouraged. 
If I have cancer, I believe that my God is able to heal me from that cancer because he's a God who's able to heal. And if God chooses to, to, to not take that from me, guess what? I'm going to praise him as loud as my body can possibly do. And I'm going to lift my hands as high as I can possibly do because my God is good and faithful no matter what I carry. That's varsity faith. Varsity faith is saying, Lord, I believe and I trust. JV faith is, Lord, I believe. I'm not yet sure if I trust. Right? JV faith is basically saying, God, I really need you to encourage my faith by doing this particular thing. Varsity faith is saying, Lord, my faith is already encouraged. You do what you want to do. I'm going to ask you to do this. And you could do with that what you will. But I'm not your God. You're my God. So whatever you do, I trust you. That's hard, church. That's hard. But that's what takes us to a level of maturity in our faith. Amen? That's what allows us to keep getting back up again every time we fall on the ground. Is because we say, all right, Lord, you're going to do it this time. And then if you can knock down on the ground, you get back up and you say, I still serve a mighty and faithful God. We're going to try this thing again. And we keep going and we keep going and we keep going. This story here is this beautiful depiction of a group of people. I love it. I love that it's a, a story that, um, that doesn't just emphasize the way in which Jesus responds to an individual's faith. But this story emphasizes the way in which Jesus responds to a community of faith. Um, let's personalize this for a moment. Sometimes we're the person on the mat. Sometimes we're the one who can't get to Jesus on our own. Life has beat us up, kicked us in the teeth, gut punch, and we can't even get to Jesus on our own. We try and it's hard. Almost feels like a futile attempt. And if that's you right now, my question to you is, is there somebody grabbing a corner of your mat who is convinced that getting you closer to Jesus is what you really need? There are times in our life when we need someone else to carry us closer to Jesus. This man couldn't do it on his own, even if he wanted to. Right? He relied upon the willingness, the compassion, the love, the courage, and the faith of others to get him closer to Jesus. Even if he were kicking and screaming <laughs> all the way up until the feet of Jesus. They probably were like, shut up. We're getting you in front of Jesus. Be quiet. You're going to get healed today. Right? Sometimes others got to have faith on, on your behalf. That's right. Guess why? Because other times you're going to be holding somebody else's mat. And that's the way, that's the beauty of the, the community of God. Sometimes we're on the mat, sometimes we're carrying it. Maybe on, in one given day, maybe you're in both roles at the same time. And guess what? Jesus is like, you know what? I've seen this story before. And I love it when that kind of thing happens. I loved uh, the moment of worship that we had together as a church family earlier. I saw people um, who knew each other praying together, covering one another. That's powerful. Isn't it powerful when somebody else prays for you? It's powerful. I mean, just 
to make it a, 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 just a human interaction for a moment and think about what takes place in that moment. Somebody else wasted their breath, their tears, their voice to place a hand on your shoulder to d- cry out to God on your behalf that you would receive what God has for you. That's moving. Even people that are of the world don't know how to respond to that. I, I love praying for people that don't know, the, the, don't know God, they don't know the word, they don't know church, but even that expression of prayer is moving to even somebody who doesn't know what faith is all about. Because it's a moment of sacrifice. Right? You could be doing a whole lot of other things with your time and energy, but you chose to invest your focus on that other individual. That's moving. Right? I, this, this story, I believe, moved the heart of Jesus because he saw, and, and he saw all of the factors that needed to line up for that moment to take place. And Jesus said, I'm going to bless these guys right now. I'm going to encourage their faith right now. Right? And so Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Um, Jesus saw their faith and their compassion. They believed that a miracle was possible. They believed that Jesus had the power to do the miracle. They believed that Jesus had compassion to do the miracle. Amen? So I want to encourage us as the body of Christ. You know, to contemplate today as we look at this story, maybe you're in a season in your life where you are the man on the mat. Um, Stay close to the family of God. Unfortunately, when sin hits us or life hits us hard, our natural tendency is to isolate ourselves. That's exactly what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to be disconnected and separated And we do that because of shame and fear or embarrassment or whatever it may be. But I want you to know something. Raise your hand right now if you've never sinned or you've never fallen short or you've never been broken in your life. I want you to look around the sanctuary right now and see that you are in good company if you find yourself in a place where you are beaten up by sin and brokenness in life. You don't got to be ashamed. Take a deep breath right now. You don't have to be afraid. Every single person in here is willing to admit we haven't figured it out, we haven't solved it, and we can't do it on our own. Guess what? You can't either. So don't hide. Don't run away. Don't separate or isolate. The best place you can be when you can't get to Jesus on your own is next to about four or five or six or eight others who are willing to grab a mat and get you close to Jesus when it's hard for you to do it on your own. The beauty of the community is that Oftentimes we're in a different place and you are picked up and cleaned up and God has restored you and you got joy in your heart and you've got strength and and you've got faith. And guess what? Then God is saying, whose corner are you carrying today? Right? This invitation to pursue Jesus was never meant to be an individual thing. It's always meant to be part of a community where we are carried and a community where we carry. This is a great space to do that at Mission Ebenezer. In fact, God might even be putting somebody on your heart this morning through this passage who's laying on a mat somewhere wondering whether or not somebody has forgotten about them. And God might be planting a seed in your heart to say, I got one corner. Let me make a phone call to see if I got three more others. 
Um, so the way we'll bring this message to a close today is we're going to participate in a community moment. Um, we're, we are going to receive communion together. Um, I don't believe uh, you all have received these yet, have you? I'd like to invite the ushers forward at this time. And we're going to partake in the body and blood of Jesus. And as we're doing that, let me finish the story. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of all of them, took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. Would you stand if you're able this morning?